Hi, this is John, by the way, and I'm looking today at lesson May 1st through 7th, Luke 12 through 17, and John 11. And in here, there are three parables of lost things in Luke 15. And if you have a our Turtle House membership, you have access to a video I did called Parables of Lost Things already. So I kind of wanted to focus on the very first parable that goes by kind of fast in Luke 12, and that is the parable of the foolish rich man. This is how it goes, starting in verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Now we always want to ask the question, what drew the parable out? And the question that drew this parable out of the Savior was a man's concern over his inheritance. And Jesus taught this parable to show the temporary nature of man's ownership of things that belong to the Lord, ultimately, and as a warning against covetousness and an encouragement to focus more on an eternal inheritance. So in the, in the parable, the rich man had a great harvest and was faced with the dilemma of where to put it all. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, a certain self-made man earned a great deal by his industry. Rather, he actually takes the man out of the equation. Notice how he says, the ground of a man brought forth plentifully. But the rich man takes all the credit for his successful harvest. And he also has an I problem. I hope you could hear I was trying to emphasize the I and my pronouns when I read those verses. So in summarizing his his banner year of harvest, he uses the I word six times and the my word five times. And also, if you read it carefully, you'll notice the whole time he's talking to himself. And he gives no acknowledgement or gratitude to God for his excess. And because of this harvest, he's suddenly in a position to bless many others. But his main concern is, where do I put all my stuff? And then at his untimely death, the Lord says, well, whose shall those things be? As a reminder that in reality, God owns them all. So there's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18 says, My power and my might, the might of mine hand, hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And also Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So all of the Lord's creations, the seeds, the soil, the sun, the rain, all of those things combined bring the harvest. 
And the Lord is trying to say, try to be rich toward God. And I've always loved the a chapter previous to this assignment is John 10.10, 10, where it has this wonderful phrase, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I've really thought about that interesting phrase to to have if you already have life how do you have more life well it's a more abundant life what what does the abundant life mean more blessings more more joy in life if it's abundant i, I don't think it means more stuff but it might mean more more joy and more peace of mind to have an abundant life anyway so how do we be, become rich toward god and it's an important question. If if you look at life like it's a big shopping spree, death will eventually unload your cargo. <laughs> Said to his son Corianton in Alma 39, Seek not after riches nor the vain things of this world, for behold, you cannot carry them with you. And when I was a teenager, my brother introduced me to a book by Og Mandino, called The Greatest Salesman in the World, and another one called The Greatest Success in the World. He said, you should read these before your mission. And Ogmandino speaks about gold and wealth as a burden that you must carry until death unloads thy cargo. <laughs> death will unload your cargo. So what can you keep then? That's a great question. What is it that you can keep that you can take with you. And I'm thinking, I've heard it articulated in different ways, but I'm thinking the things you can take with you that kind of fit in your spirit or in your head, in your heart, that last, that go past the checkout counter called death, would be our character, our intelligence, and our relationships. And I think character would include your honesty, your integrity, your, your goodness. And this is, this is like the oil in the lamps of the, the virgins, the wise and foolish virgins. If you can't share that, I can't share, I can't walk up to you at the judgment and say, can you give me 10 years of your honesty? Because I'm asking for something that you have become. And that's not shareable, kind of like the oil in that parable in Matthew 25. So our character, honesty, integrity, goodness, our intelligence, I think would include our knowledge. I think that would include our, our testimony and our, our talents. I think if you can play the piano here, you can probably play the piano in the spirit world if they have pianos up there. I've heard people say, well, I'll just be able to learn it instantly there. Well, I don't, maybe, I don't even, I don't know if that's true, but it, it seems to go against the idea expressed in section 130 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. The spirit of that is that what you gain here will give you an advantage in the life to come. 
It doesn't say, oh, it doesn't really matter what you gain on earth because you will instantly get whatever you want in the next life, which is, sounds like the mentality of that idea. I'll just be able to learn to play the piano in the next life. So character, intelligence, and relationships, relationships particularly with us in our theology and thinking about our spouses, our family members, eternal marriage, eternal families. And also in section 130, verse 2, it says the same sociality, sociality I guess means social relationships, the same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory. So character, intelligence, and relationships are the only things that get past that checkout counter. And one of the most profound lines I ever heard about this idea of what we can take with us was this sentence here. Once we have in our mind, we can take with us character, intelligence, relationships. We cannot take with us gold or silver or money or stocks or bonds. Is this statement here, why is it then we work so hard for the things we can't take with us, often at the expense of those we can. The word treasure is used, if I got this right, about ten times in the Doctrine and Covenants, and nine of those times it's a verb, as in treasure up in your hearts salvation or wisdom. That's eternal treasure. Only once it is used as a noun, And in that case, treasure is referring to converts, potential converts. There are, you have, they have treasure in the city. So certain treasures of earth are necessary for our temporal salvation because we have to eat. We have to wear clothes to shelter ourselves from the weather. We need shelter to survive. And there's no condemnation for providing for ourselves and our families. I sure hope not. But the problem comes when our pursuit of worldly things takes the place of or diminishes our eternal treasures. And then we become like the rich man who had nothing to show for it when his time to die had come. So Elder Jeffrey R. Holland gave a talk at a a graduation and he said, remember that in the end, God will be looking only for clean hands, not for full ones. Isn't that a great statement? He's not, he's going to be looking for clean hands. That's the Psalms 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So he'll be looking for full hands, or sorry. So he'll be looking for clean hands, not for full ones. What a great statement. I do want to mention the Luke 15 parables. I I used to call them the parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. But do you remember the talk, April of 2023, Elder 1A, I don't want to mispronounce this, Aceda, A-C-E-D-A, in that talk called The Lord Jesus Christ Teaches Us to Minister, Elder Aceda said, It is interesting to note that when Luke, the gospel writer, is introducing the three stories, he uses the word parable in the singular, not in the plural. 
It appears that the Lord is teaching one unique lesson with three stories. Stories that present different numbers, 100 sheep, 10 coins, and 2 sons. The key number in each of these stories, however, is the number 1. And a lesson we might take from that number is that you might be an under-shepherd for 100 elders and prospective elders in your elders' quorum, or an advisor to 10 young women, or a teacher to 2 primary children, but you always, always minister to them, care for them, and love them, one by one, individually. You never say, what a foolish sheep, or after all, I do not really need that coin, or what a rebellious son he is. If you and I have with us the pure love of Christ, we, as the men in the story of the lost sheep, will leave the ninety and nine and go after that which is lost until, until, until we find it. Now, I remember listening to this in general conference and saying, oh, what a great lesson. You don't ever give up. We go after that which is lost until, until, until we find it. Elder Aseda continued, Or, as the woman in the story of the lost coin, we will light a candle and sweep the house and seat diligently, diligently, till, till, till we find it. If we have with us the pure love of Christ, he continued, we will follow the example of the father in the story of the prodigal son, who, when the son was yet a great way off, saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. Now, as I said before, if you want to find my own talk on parables of lost things, it's one of the Our Turtle House video talks. In fact, it was one of the first ones I did a long, a long time ago, I think. Going back to the parable of the rich man, and just the danger of, of always, always wanting more, it reminded me of when my wife and I, after being newlyweds in Provo and decided to move to Salt Lake City, we started looking for homes. And we started to notice in the older neighborhoods in Salt Lake City, there was a detached garage, not even attached to the house, but there was a one-car garage kind of in the backyard down a long driveway, detached from the house. And when we started going into neighborhoods that were built in maybe the 70s and 80s, we started to see double garages that were attached to the house. And then when we went to the newer, newest neighborhoods, there were triple garages. And sometimes with the third one kind of big, like this will fit an SUV type of a thing, and also attached to the house. And we just saw this this standard of living increasing. And hopefully we're not taking that for granted as we see this, the average person having a couple of cars, hardly ever using a detached garage. And most of us now don't even use the front door. We use our garage door opener to go in and out of the house more than we use the, the front door which is interesting, kind of a standard of living thing. And it's easy to start to expect that that's what you should have. I think one of the issues I hear parents talk about a lot is that their children, who are just starting out, want to, to start at the same standard of living that their parents worked decades to get to. <laughs> and it takes a while 
to get to that to that spot. So the whole thing, I suppose, talking about this is eternal treasure in that parable of the rich man and of having an abundant life. But the abundance, I think, is peace and joy. It's not it's not planes and jacuzzis. It's peace and joy. And that's the abundant life that the Savior promises, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. I'm going to keep pondering what that means because that sounds wonderful, and that's what I want. Thanks for joining me, and we'll continue with Come Follow Me next time.